Dangerous Twisted Mystery Podcast. Less cozy, more ugly. Warping listeners' minds since 2022. Music by Dangerous. Narrated by Twisted. Chapter 47. Shopping Spree. There were only 17 shopping hours left until the broadcast television airwaves would become a vast, multi-channel department store from which one item would be marked for theft. Blue would turn on the TV at precisely 4 p.m. Eastern and watch for three and a half hours, and his range would span every channel on the dial. Even with the seemingly impossible task, Legacy felt like a predator on a silent trajectory to run down his unseen prey. His theory had boxed Blue into a vast area of internal consistency that he referred to as his repetitive tendencies. Now, if he behaved like Legacy knew he would, there was a chance of taking this whole group down. Legacy knew something that no one else knew, and that gave his vision a clarity that no one else could see. The study of biometrics breaks down a human face along an axis. The symmetry, or lack thereof, is expressed along a grid, with the long axis crossing between the eyes and the lateral cutting just beneath the nose. It forms a T down the middle of the face. Some of the more jovial scientists in the field call this simply the truth. Now, truth be told, most expressions can be mapped on the same grid. This is the way scientists eventually hope to allow robots to analyze human emotions. Forget having a psychoanalyst when that happens, Legacy thought, making his way down an unfamiliar corridor towards an exit that he'd never used in all of his time in the Alexandria branch. It faced west, and his home was east. But today, Legacy was not taking his regular lunch. Instead, he was heading across town. He looked at the faces in the crowds as they passed him, trying to picture them in monochrome and then recreate the victims within everyone. The same associations he'd seen so clearly in his office. Computer software actually bleeds out the colors to make the T-grid more pronounced, and this allows expressions and characteristics to be read with greater accuracy. This is it. Legacy's mind had yelled out only hours before. Blue had chosen girls with facial symmetry that became obvious when all the layers were peeled away. With the color gone, the condition of their faces also revealed the same expression, one of determination in ascending degrees. Legacy didn't need a computer to read the human face. He should have noticed it before. But the emotional image that each victim presented, the rosy cheeks, the smooth, even tanned skin, had distracted him. He had never looked at the victims as he should have. He should have viewed them as suspects, with an eye towards discerning the detail of their underlying tendencies. It was a mistake that stared him flat on his very contoured face in the reflection of a subway window. He moved onto the train. The ratio of the distance between their eyes and mouths was another constant. It was like Blue processed their biometrics along some code that would result in the greatest satisfaction for him. He's looking for the perfect girl to break. It's no wonder that they were all considered beautiful. Symmetry is the cornerstone of physical beauty. He gazed out the window at the passing scenery. The crisp air cut around the aerial, producing a thin contrail wisp of cloud, meaning the temperature was near but not below freezing. A half hour later, 
Legacy was standing in front of a cut stone facade that hid an ultra-modern interior of the terrace towers. It was a blend of colonial outside to appease those prone to be drawn to history and the broadband contemporary-style lobby and interior fixtures to satisfy those who prefer looking to the future. Eyeing the graceless contrast, Legacy decided he would feel ill in the very near present. He stepped out of the elevator. There was only one door leading to the plush marble-accented lobby. A small circular plaque on the door read, Tyke Conspiracies, but it flew out of sight when the door was flung outward with a swift kick from the occupant. Tyke wanted both hands free with his visitor, and he wrapped them around Legacy. He carried the faint smell of body odor, tuna, and powdered cheese. Tyke surveyed his visitor's response to his embrace, and made the excuse. I've been using a new crystal deodorant, all while hugging him closer. Use more, Legacy said simply, knowing that the only way to truly connect with Tyke was to insult him. I do. I mean, I will. Uh, but now I'm busy helping out this pain-in-the-ass friend who's got me making $250,000 worth of machinery into a giant TiVo. His words bounced off the rough in-wall frames, scattering into the catacombs that were his unfinished penthouse apartment. Some rooms were practically normal, but they stood as enclosed islands of drywall in a vast plain of a metal-framed maze that extended outward until one reached the windows. Those were covered in a dark tint that made even direct sunlight seem strangely cool. Something to do with projector glare, Legacy bet. Banks of data projectors, DLP, DILA, and LCD, pointed at white tarps that hung stretched where walls should be circling the main workplace. This place looked like it was a laundry day every day. The high 1.5 gain video screens had the same amount of luminance workspace as 1,000 20-inch monitors. Tyke was the kind of person who jumped from technology to technology, always thinking the kind that he didn't have was better than the one he did, regardless of chronology. It seemed like a very simple explanation for his spending habits. He could not concentrate on the same project for any length of time. It was practically impossible for him to wake up one day thinking he'd work on the same thing that he did the day before. His sporadic approach would cripple some people, but it motivated him. Tyke would not sleep until he'd finished what he was doing. This led to some interesting weeks of unbounded progress accompanied by humanity-draining insomnia. It was a cocktail of results and pressure that Tyke had perfected. He loved fresh challenges because they made him finish old business. I built a moat for one of the top three fulfillment companies in the country, he said with pride, urging Legacy to guess which one. A moat, Legacy instead replied. Yeah, firewalls are for pussies. When they get me, they get a moat around them. Fire never even touches their walls. He spoke in his own terminology, as if it were accepted jargon, which, Legacy thought, is probably how jargon gets accepted in the first place. It comes from people like Tyke. I've got about two hours of work left on your instructions, but my questions are, why are we doing this here? Why at all, for that matter? Didn't they just bust up their party this morning? He reached for a pair of wire strippers and went to work on a ribbon of wires on his workstation. If I'm wrong, we've wasted an afternoon. He was certain Blue was proceeding with his plan to choose the next abduction victim. He hadn't told Wagner, 
or anyone for that matter, the truth about how the leak of the news story affected Blue's plans to choose the next girl. It didn't. Blue was a vain man, and he didn't let anyone tell him what to do. Anyway, he had a system that had produced rewards time after time, so to change it would show weakness, something that Blue did not intend to do. I thought you were never wrong, Tyke chimed in. Legacy rubbed his fingers together below his nose, staring intently at the tips of his fingers into the grooves that confirmed his own singularity. Somewhere in the overlapping worlds and the maze of indented lines was a pathway. All he needed to do was connect it across that undefined gap to another person. And the one thing he couldn't do in this vector diagram was miss. He needed to be someone else for the rest of the day, right down to the behaviors that most people would say were untraceable and as unique and impossible to copy, like a fingerprint. Blue would keep his appointed hours in front of the TV, and that next girl would be chosen the same as always, despite the leak. The FBI would not interrupt the symmetry of the crimes that Blue was crafting. Nothing had shown him even the slightest trouble, much less the kind of upheaval that would make him want to change. He didn't change. People changed for him, bent around his will. He would be sitting in front of those screens tonight, and he would be searching for someone with just a little more pride, an identity a little more sure and confident. He was going to be looking for the best possible woman to ruin. Otherwise, what was the point? He couldn't imagine that it was a risk. It was like the police had been handed a phone book to the entire county, and they were told that the next victim would be chosen from it. No. Blue felt quite safe and equally secure in his choice because of one simple reason. He had no idea of who it would be. Tyke listened to Legacy explain their next step. Let all of it soak into his binary world and offered a suggestion. Why don't you let me run the biometrics program while you're watching the feed? It won't work. Symmetrical faces are going to be all over the television. We watch one after another symmetrical face on TV. Anyway, it's not just symmetry. It's the expression mapped out across the cheekbones that tells a story about the woman, and the story is progressing. There's no way to put that into a computer. The only computer that could process it all, Legacy thought, was his own. I need to get ready. Legacy's eyes shined with a steely, slightly foreign anger that he usually kept in check just below the surface. He was beginning to let blue creep into his consciousness a cold intrusion to ready him for the choices that were about to be made. Neither mercy nor remorse nor indecision could cloud his view of the faces that were about to parade in front of him. Legacy felt the beginning stages of a trance. He asked if the color could be drained out of the video feeds. When Tyke asked why, Legacy could hardly recognize his own voice as it growled. That's how I see them. He kept his eyes straight forward. The images of all six girls appeared in his mind, larger than life colorless and motionless. They were nothing less than a vast landscape of human geography. He heard Tyke murmur something defensively about taking a lunch break and ordering Chinese food before shutting out the world entirely. His mind was cleared of everything except the details hidden under the chemical specks deposited on the glossy paper forming the image of the abducted girls. Using the truth T-lines, Legacy set about seeking a progression as each girl represented a step forward in both physical beauty, strength of character, and conviction. Blue was looking for someone with the kind of outward beauty matched with the understanding of exactly who she was, 
the kind of certainty that would pose the greatest challenge to break. He was a sculptor, looking for an image within a slab of the most formidable marble. Legacy recognized the desire to push up against his limits. A small part of him coveted the idea of a kind of perfect failure, finding a secret that even he could not coax out of a person. Something so sacred that it wouldn't be given up to anything or anyone. He came across that kind of resolve only once in his career. It was the encounter that had been the only notable mistake on an otherwise perfect record. The speculation at the time that the mistake came to light was that he was a traitor, as an amusing aside. It was the only time that he'd lied to a superior officer. The army was right about one thing. There was one case where he knew much more about the subject than he had told them. But thinking of her missed the point entirely, and before he could get to the point, chopsticks were thrust into his field of view from above. Tyke dangled the delicate-looking white wood and then waved it in his face like a snake charmer bent on coaxing him out of a dark retreat. It was clear Tyke wasn't certain if there'd be any venom by the way he jumped back when Legacy's eyes snapped open. Tyke must have risked the interruption because of the importance of what he had to say. Kelly, Tyke said, pointing to the door, and a shapely young woman wearing black tights that disappeared into a short red skirt. She had a second bag of food. Tyke learned that ordering six meals meant they came in two bags. Two bags gave him almost 30 seconds more time seeing Kelly. And that calculation includes two-bag retrieval trips. Legacy managed to reply, How is everything going? He spoke in a low tone, careful not to be overheard by Kelly. We're dating. He could barely contain the joy of the world that had spread across his glowing face. She's way out of my league. Kelly, uh, come meet my... my... He stammered, suddenly realizing there was no way of introducing Legacy. Friend didn't fit. Colleague was outdated. Lover was wholly inaccurate. Legacy saw him stalling out and extended his hand. Former instructor and mentor at the Washington Bureau. His hand enveloped hers, and Kelly unconsciously leaned forward swooning visibly at his chiseled looks that outlined years of experience and steely eyes that dipped down deeply into a coral complexity underneath. Kelly proved to be playful from word one as she turned to Tyke. Oh my God! Be glad I didn't meet him first, she said, walking a thin line of teasing. She settled her eyes on Tyke. So you weren't kidding about the FBI? Throwing a glance back to Legacy with a wink, I thought he just wanted to impress me. The pucker of her thin, expressive lips on the word impress was the kind of flirt that she obviously loved laying out there as bait. She knew that Tyke would rise to take it. She's toying with me. We won't last. It's a fling, he said, handing over the money for the food. Kelly continued talking to Legacy, unable to take her eyes off of him. That's his way of dealing with possible future rejection, to preempt it. What he doesn't know is that his neurotic insecurity attracts my appetite for self-sabotage. Beneath her thick black eyeliner, her eyes danced a calculatedly immature intellectual jig. A twirl sent her skirt just above the propriety line to finish the tease, and she was gone. Legacy could feel the insecurity rising in Tyke, which he quickly diffused by saying, I think she likes me. Tyke's temples throbbed in frustration, and for a moment, after finding the perfect stinging comeback, he discarded it in favor of, I'm going to die alone. That's the spirit. Legacy found that the smell of food gave him an appetite. 
The afternoon had quickly dissipated, and his hunger reminded him of the arrangements he needed to make. Can I use your phone? Tyke waved him on to an antique replica phone mounted on the wall above a small table in the middle of the hallway. Picking it up, Legacy realized that it was not a replica per se. It was an expertly crafted modern forgery of the old cedar box phones that they used in the Wild West. The coils, wires, springs, and casing all put together lovingly from junk and restored authentically to the period. He took a moment before raising the earpiece to study the braided black wires leading to the pickup, where the electronic impulses would soon become a familiar voice. The fact that Tyke would have such an artful reverence for old technology made Legacy look at him in a different light. Legacy was not the type to bandy about the word genius as a reward for excellence. Tyke had always struck Legacy as a genius, but he hadn't realized up until that moment that he was also an artist. A thought breezed through Legacy like it was the hum of electricity. Perhaps all geniuses are artists, regardless of their field, because perfection is just a word for immeasurable beauty. He felt the strange sensation of wanting to comfort Tyke. Kelly was just testing you. She wanted to see if you can handle more than just going out with her. She wants to know if there's a chance it will be a relationship. Now, how did I do? Tyke asked. You failed. So much for kind words. He caught himself. But she'll give you another chance. Keep your eyes up. She wants to be everything you think she is. Legacy began to dial the only number he had memorized. I thought you were bad with emotions. Tyke had laid out all the food boxes and popped the tops. I've had a lot of emotional input recently. Anyway, the beginning stages of a relationship are all about tactics. He raised the receiver, craning his tall frame to speak. Tyke plunged his chopsticks into the nearest box, letting them stick up like miniature standard bears, proclaiming victory over his own internal conflict. He'd eaten alone for almost six straight months. Today, he would have lunch with a friend. Chapter 48 Criminal Hem Chess felt the rush as the last bell of the day sounded and the chairs squawked in unison as twenty students pushed away from their desks. The movement hit a small smile. I got away with it, she thought. She'd spent the entire day in rebellious glory. She wore a small silver hair clip, keeping her flowing red hair from falling into her face. It was the one that Agent Wagner had offered the night before when they'd talked about makeup. The dress code at Cherished Hills Academy called for school uniforms, loafers, tennis shoes only in gym class, and only black hair clips were allowed. Chess had seen her friends flaunt the rules with pierced ears and colored nail polish, but she'd never participated in open rebellion until today. She spotted her friends outside the classroom. She was sure they would notice her painfully obvious ride on the razor's edge of the wild side. Chess strutted towards them like she was on a Paris catwalk. Bzz, bzz. Chess's phone startled her, and she jumped comically in the middle of the gathering of girls waiting for her. A cackle of laughter as Chess put the phone to her ear. Dad? she asked. Who else would it be? Legacy was stern curiosity. I meant Dad. The question retracted. Chess, I'm having you picked up today. I just... You haven't left yet, right? He asked. Uh, no, whatever, she replied. Great, well... An awkward pause from her father. Something was definitely up. She'd ask him in the car... Bye, Dad. She pushed the phone deep into her coat pocket and looked up to see all eyes on her. Trisha, 
The smallest of the group pulled back her long black hair and braved the waters of unbearable torment and stammered, That was your dad? Can I touch the phone? Pathetic, Trish, Chess answered, and the moment passed. She didn't mind having a father who towered over the other dads at parent-teacher conferences, or even a dad who melted the hearts of her adolescent friends. What nagged her was that he was frozen in time, and that he had no ability to accept that she was changing. He showered her with the same kind of attention that she needed at age six, even at age fifteen. She was beginning to feel burdened by the private, Saturday-evening-post-meets-guns-and-ammo world that he had created. It would only get worse with the events of the day. She listened to the basic flow of the girls' conversations, waiting for someone to notice the hair clip, or the twinkle in her eye that would lead them to her secret. They talked of a report that was due soon, and not even begun. Then her mind skipped like a record across time, following a totally different thread of thought. She was being picked up? She'd practically forgotten the old VW Cabriolet that they had in the garage. Her father used it for educational day trips to historical sites around the capital, but usually it was only for weekends. This was a weekday. Where were they going? Something was not right, she thought, approaching the large doors of the school that spilled out upon a central rotunda and the faculty parking lot. Megan, the gossip of the group, broke her trance. What do you have in your hair? Chess turned to the voice, only to see that Megan was aiming at Kathy. Kathy was a flirt and tease, and she dyed a strand of her hair bright purple. Kathy had layered it under the natural hair so no one had noticed. She was nearing the door, the demarcation point at which nobody could put her in detention for purple hair. Miss Riverton? Steps from freedom, the entire group froze, as Vice Principal Grafe, the hawk, called to them from down the hall. He had spotted the offending follicles from his perch in the school store. He wrote thirty minutes in detention for Kathy, and then turned with an eye on Megan's skirt, which was an inch out of school specifications. An inch too long might have been acceptable, but upward meant thirty minutes detention minimum. He tisked at the girls with a disapproving click of his tongue, and then his eyes rested on Chess, hiding in the middle. Why can't you all... Look more like Miss Legacy, he asked, noticing everything in proper proportion. She practically glows with a warm, wholesome charm. Tension surged in the moments after he'd left. Then it was gone. Trish cracked up. She pointed at Chess. Principal's pet. Chess looked at all the friendly faces encircling her. Not a trace of annoyance or jealousy. What had she done to deserve her friends? What did your dad want anyway, chess pet Kathy asked, shoving the detention slip into her plaid pocket. She backed away from the group towards the main door. She realized he hadn't said, I'll pick you up, but no other arrangements of words made sense at all. She never let her share rides with her friends, even though some were the best 16-year-old drivers in the state. He wouldn't even allow her to share rides with their moms and dads. It wasn't a discussion. Alarms went off in her head as she walked out onto the front steps of the school. She saw the lights in the rotunda. I'll have you picked up, took a new meaning for her. Her entire cadre of friends stood in the yawning front door. They craned to get a look at Mr. Legacy, but instead they saw an incredible orchestrated abduction. Chapter 49. Battleship Plan. It was almost time to start. Legacy knew that he was currently coloring outside the lines, working off-site, bending rules. 
He wasn't concerned about what others would think, particularly. That wasn't what kept him glancing at his watch with nervous urgency. He was on the clock now. There were only so many minutes until the next girl was chosen. After that, there were so many hours until she was taken. It was an odd pressure amplified by his recent work on the case with Wagner. Her dedication to every detail of the case brought a certain inertia. Her drive to see Laura safe was kinetic. Legacy sat peering through the darkness, waiting for the three separate 2,000-watt bulbs and millions of colors to illuminate someone whose features and form beckoned to Blue. Legacy could feel Blue's impulse patterns surge through his own mind. It was a rigorously practiced estimation. Legacy spent hours going through the behaviors that he'd witnessed on tape. Not many people engaged in conduct that was remotely close to Blue's. Therefore, his behavior became very narrowly defined by relatively few visible traits. The jump from behavior to the patterns of thought and decision-making was less of a science. He navigated the skewed synapses of depraved felony like a computer recognizes a face in subroutines, as fragile as any system software authored by Microsoft. On the balance, he thought, making his final preparations, he was not that different from Wagner. His own methods were cerebral, but the difference in effort was minimal. They both extended their reach in a thousand directions grasping at straws, and although they'd come up with nothing, Legacy gave grudging respect to Wagner. Her intuition was something he hoped to channel, as he was about to be watching faces, like tiles in some kind of living mosaic. He organized the screens along simple axis markers, labeling them A through T along the bottom, then 1 through 10 along the Y-axis. A1 was the lowest left corner, T10 was the top right. The stacked images, like the rows and columns of an extreme Jeopardy game, filled his vision. In the minutes leading to 4 p.m. Eastern Time, when the clock really started ticking, Legacy practiced calling out his images. Tyke would freeze the feed, marking the digital recording, so they could go back later to the image with the touch of a button. Legacy knew that the odds of spotting the exact frame that caught Blue's attention would be next to impossible. Instead, he would keep all of the women who were remotely possible. Then, in the hours after, he would go through those images and decide if they fit all the criteria of symmetry, expression, and age. Then he hoped to have a handful of faces that he could act upon. It was simple, actually. All he needed was to intercept one thought from Blue. Her. Get there before his men, then spend ten minutes interrogating the abductor, and he'd have the location of Laura. That was a fact. Tyke counted down the moments before 4 p.m., and then he gave Legacy one last boost of confidence. So, how are you so sure that he'll use this time slot and the same method after every media outlet in the country reported on it? The clock read 3.59. He sure knew how to pick his spots. I could be wrong, Legacy said with an inward smile. Tyke belted out a long, genuine, baritone laugh. Let's play Battleship. Tyke began the simultaneous recording of 1,531 channels, and Legacy started calling out his shots. C1. R5. T7.